0: Dude. We are going to energise the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr Nice Guy. Another future is possible,
1: but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, people from the uh, Blue Collar Liberal Group, Michael Mullaney and Adam Robertson. Welcome to... Debate it, both of you. Hello, Will. Um, so, will. Uh, great to have you on. Um, so to begin with, uh, the first question that I'd like to ask is, um, what made you uh, decide uh, to start the uh, blue collar liberal group? What was the impetus behind it?
2: I'm happy to go first. So what what was happening, Mel, was we having people sort of on Twitter complaining that the Liberal Democrats weren't listening to working-class people and working-class members. So instead of... Being on the t- Twitter echo chain, but what we thought is well, well, let's organise ourselves and get a co- coherent idea together to put forward as an affiliated organisation within the party, but also to you know ensure that we can reach out to working class voices and communities, because at the minute we're unfortunately oversubscribed—not oversubscribed, oversubscribed she says—but to the AB group rather than the DE working class group. And we're just going to end up as an echo chamber. And, you know, when we have good councillors in working class areas, you know, such as Mike himself in Hinckley and Bosworth, we've got good councillors in Cornwall. We need to reach out from our salient within the London and the South East. hence part of the reason why we form formed the Blue Collar Lip Dem Group, from my perspective. Hmm.
1: So...
0: I believe that the Liberal Democrats need a broad appeal to people across all different areas and all different social groups if we're going to be a successful national party. I'm just concerned in recent years, our appeal has narrowed somewhat. If you go back to the 2005 election, which was our most successful election, we had about a third of our MPs from the North, the Midlands and Wales, and we were in second place in about a third of the seats across those regions. When you fast forward to 2019, we've only got one MP in the North, Midlands and Wales, uh, Tim Farron, and we're second in only 11 seats there out of over 300. So the sort of the geographical base of the party has narrowed over the years. And the social base has as well in, in as far as whilst we do poll reasonably well amongst A, B professional voters, amongst D working class voters, we do much less well. We have about half the level of support amongst working class people that we do amongst middle class professionals mm. uh, and that's a concern if we want to be a truly national party um, you know even the conservative party has a more sort of even appeal across the classes than we do and if we do want to be a national party and we want to be a party of the center left that's about enabling people and communities to get on in life and to have a reasonable standard of living and to achieve what they want to achieve then we need to have a broad appeal and that means appealing to working class communities and expanding our support amongst working class as well as middle class people.
1: Now, touching on the point of the um, 2005 general election, quite a lot of people reflecting on that election may uh, be surprised about uh, what you just said regarding... um, the amount of representation the Lib Dems had in Northern Seas, because for a lot of people, that election, uh, the increase in Lib Dem vote may be uh, seen to be linked more to uh, voting against the Iraq war and perhaps more liberal members of uh, the Labour Party uh, voting against Labour uh, because they disagreed with the party's position on the Iraq war. I I mean, how true do you think that is? And to what extent do you think that That perhaps uh, muddies the water as to why people were voting for the Liberal Democrats in 2005.
0: I I think the the Iraq war was a big issue in that election, but we also had a big set of policies on on big tickets. Issues to do with, you know, health and social care. We were going into that election on free care for elderly people on education or, you know, the tuition fees issue on, you know, fairer taxes. Uh, we wanted to um, abolish the council tax because it was unfair tax. So there were a lot of policies that were very much geared towards delivering on health, education um, the economy, all the sort of big ticket issues that people are concerned about. And whilst we did win, you know, a lot of sort of university type seats, the Leeds Northwest, the Manchester Withingtons, we had MPs in places like Chesterfield, which is, you know, a traditionally working class town. Um, so so we, we we have support sort of a, a across the board and we were winning rural and urban seats. You know, we had all five seats in Cornwall. And Cornwall is, in terms of income, is a very low income area. It's an area where Labour never really broken into, apart from Falmouth, which they, they've occasionally won. Um, but we have all the seats in Cornwall, and we have none there now. And that is an area where, you know, in rural small town seats where Labour haven't managed to break through, we were often the alternative to the Conservatives, and we've sort of gone back in a lot of those seats and we need to be going back into those areas the North Cornwalls, the North Devons the yeovils and and, you know challenging the Conservatives again if we're going to get the Conservative Government out.
2: Yeah yeah, I completely agree with Michael 110% there Um, looking at the situation in Cornwall it is to to be honest pretty dire Um, as Michael alluded to we had all five or six seats there now we you know we, we may even go backwards in terms of the council but if you look at our situation in Wales with you know we've only got one Senate seat whereas in 2005 uh, we had six Senate seats and four Westminster seats um, now we're potentially looking at zero I hope that's not the case I hope uh, William Powell hangs on to Kirsty Williams's seat uh, but it is a concern what what is has we need to reach out to those um, working class voters with an appeal what attracts them to the Liberal Democrats um, we sort of need to as uh, Ed Maxfield said who was Norman Lamb's former organiser, we need to think more of Trunch one of his villages in his county council ward rather than Twitter mm. um, Now uh, on the subject of,
1: wor- of um, reaching out to working class voters some people might um, think of the the phrase reaching out to working class voters as perhaps treating working class people as a overly homogenous group um are there particular um parts of the the working class that you're thinking of in terms of reaching out to and if so what are those particular um parts are you thinking of particular uh professions particular areas what, what precisely are you thinking of well in terms of
0: the places where we've we've one before we've elected many councillors in in you know working class communities in rural small town areas we've often been the alternative to the conservatives and have been the party that many of the people who you know were struggling who do depend on public services voted for and i think that as a party in recent years we perhaps become too concentrating on issues like Europe, for example, which we you know we talked about a lot at the last general election, and perhaps not enough about the bread and butter issues to do with health education employment. Transport the issues that really matter in people's day-to-day lives. And I think also, if you want to win people's support over people who are struggling, you need to demonstrate that you really care about these issues. And I think if you saw Liberal Democrats talking about Europe in the past, they talked with real passion, real fire. You could see that they they really cared about that issue. Well, I think we need to do exactly the same on health services. And you know, we need to be seen as Liberal Democrats that we want every town and every community to have high-quality health services, we want everyone to have the best quality education education. education opportunities, we want to see improved transport links and transport services, you know, rural bus services improved, train links improved in all parts of the country, and employment as well, where we've got a big issue now, three million people excluded from all government support who need help, as well as, you know, making sure things like the furlough scheme goes on as long as it needs to. So we really need to be seen to be talking about the issues that people really care about in their everyday lives, because if we're not seen to be caring about issues that people are concerned about in their everyday lives, why why should people consider voting for us? So we really have to just show that we're concerned about things that matter to people, people's everyday lives particularly those people who are struggling and who need support
2: yeah I again completely 110% agree with Michael there Um, what we need to get back to is community politics listening to people's concerns on the doorsteps Um, I've been out tonight in my patch I'm standing in and it's listening to them on issues like dog mess your rural bus services as Michael's alluded to Um, Their NHS, because people are concerned about that People feel we've sort of lost that And and, and it's a shame really Because the, the grassroots Liberal Democrats haven't I think there's a sense that the people at the top of the party Whether it's misconstrued or not Were sort of banging on about Europe To take a phrase from David Cameron And I think to a point that was right and we and it, we came across as sneering to people who voted leave or had leave instincts, whereas the majority of people who voted leave were concerned about the about the reasons Michael just answered, about the NHS, the economic situation. Um, is their son or daughter going to get a job? And they and they felt we weren't listed to that and they felt Europe was a way out, rightly or wrongly. But we have to now get on the causes of Brexit rather than saying, saying to these people, you're all wrong. So hopefully we can start doing that now and sort of turn the page. Not to say we're still not a pro-European party, but we've got to listen to why people voted that way and, um, sorry, uh, react to their concerns.
1: Mm. Um, now, in terms of why people uh, voted uh, Leave... Do you think that the reasons that they uh, voted Leave will have been resolved by the result of the referendum and the implementing of the referendum? Or do you think that uh, those concerns are just going to increase over time, particularly in areas that will be uh, lacking in the kind of support that they would have previously had from the European Union, even if people uh, didn't fully recognise the uh, economic support that they would have had from the European Union.
0: There's still a lot of work that needs to be done to sort of, you know, level up the country and, and, and bring about fairness in the country. I mean, as well as being involved in, in the Blue Collar Group, I'm also chairman of the Lib Dems for the Heart of England, which campaigns on issues to do with the Midlands, which is a region that's often left behind, um, you know, often, you know, things like transport plans that we hope to see go ahead like electrifying the midland main line have been delayed it's a very industrial region the east and west midlands highest proportion of people in manufacturing jobs there's concerns about the future of manufacturing particularly post-covid so there's a lot of serious issues to do with communities which really haven't had the advantages in terms of employment, income, public services, transport links, all these other things which need taking up. And one of the historic things that the Liberal Party was very good at in the past was championing those parts of the country that perhaps felt that they weren't listened to by by London. So Mm. we would often have a lot of support. If you look historically at the party in the 50s and 60s, the last places that were still sort of voting liberal at that time were often the southwest rural bits of Wales, the Scottish borders and Scottish highlands. And very often it was basically that those areas felt left behind by government and liberals came in and said we'll we'll be champions for you and i think we need to do the same thing in communities across the country now in the midlands the north the wales these other areas where we're struggling uh, as a party we need to go into those communities and say to people you know liberal democrats care about your services the opportunities that you need um, and we will champion them for you
2: yeah again once again i agree with michael and that i mean what's happening is we're seeing a brain drain of our talent moving away from the provincial towns to the big cities. And it's it's leaving the provincial towns left behind. I live in a coastal town and the town centre is dead. There's nothing happening. And we're seeing that throughout provincial towns across the country. And as Liberal Democrats, we need to find an answer to that problem and sort of believe in civic pride. But I think there's a sense within the party that civic pride means sort of a bad form of nationalism, which I don't think is the case. And the fact why people voted leave, I think, is more complex than some of the party like to think. I've heard some members say some people thought because they were racists. Now, I think there was probably a small minority of people who, who voted leave who are racists. So I, I don't disagree with that. Mm. But to tar everyone who voted leave as racist was completely wrong. And actually people voted leave for the sense that they felt that immigration was causing their son or daughter to still be on the minimum wage, which is a fair concern, whether you agree or disagree. Another answer was the NHS. Now, I do think that was kind of in a way fabricated, but that they got their answer from a populist person. And we sort of need to sort of address that in the Lib, Lib Dems by affiliate- affiliating these problems and not putting them to one side, such it, issues such as the fishing industry, both in Cornwall and in East Anglia and Scotland, and look at how we can improve, you know, people's uh, livelihoods in those industries or offer them alternative industries instead of telling them they were wrong.
1: We're just going to take a quick break to listen to a trailer for the Politics of Sound podcast. When we return, I will continue discussing various issues uh, with the two gents from the blue-collar Lib Dem group, including the recent police crime bill that has just passed the House of Commons, uh, the upcoming by-election in the North East, and many other things as well. We'll be back very shortly. Do you want to see your politicians from a different angle? It's time for the Politics of Sound podcast. I believe that people's record collections can reveal a lot about them, and so every month I invite politicians and political figures to reveal their three all-time favourite albums, and in exchange I want to know all about them and their lives, what they think, and why they think it. So why not join me, Ian Carnegie, my guests and the House Band on the Politics of Sound podcast, out now on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Now, uh, today, the uh, police crime sentencing and courts bill uh, passed through the House of Commons. And of course, the Liberal Democrats uh, were very much uh, opposed to it. Now, the argument that the Conservatives uh, will make about both Lib Dems and Labour is that by opposing the bill, uh, they're you know not going to help with um, sentencing, or they're going to be soft on crime on all those uh, sorts of uh, things that the Conservatives' uh, arguments the Conservatives make regarding bills like uh, this one. What kind of argument do you think uh, you will make, uh, or, or the Liberal Democrats should be able to make? to working class people who perhaps, you know, may support some of the uh, elements of the bill that the Lib Dems voted against as to why it would be right for their communities uh, to oppose elements uh, of this bill or the bill in its entirety. What would be the uh, Lib Dem argument to working class people as to why the bill was wrong?
0: The main argument, really, around this is that we want to see, um, you know, people have a right to protest, and that was the main reason why we objected to 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 the to those clauses of the bill in terms of the everyday problems with crime that people experience you know liberal democrats are very much in the belief that we should increase the number of police officers locally that we need more effective community policing um, and that we, we we should do all we can to make people feel safer in their communities so in terms of these sort of everyday issues that people concern about which is you know being afraid to walk the streets and so on, then I think that Liberal Democrats do have the answers to those. But what we don't believe in is is closing down, you know, the right to to protest and dissent, which a lot of the uh, the bill seems to be aimed at doing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I could completely endorse the community police at some point. What I would say is we've got to be very careful because there is probably there's a small minority in the party, and I'd say even in the Labour Party as well, who would want us to follow AOC, one of the representatives in House of Reps, and a few others, sort of about defunding the police. I certainly wouldn't agree with defunding the police. Mm. I think what we need to bring back is policing by consent. And I think that was undermined on Saturday night, that you can't get away from that. But at the same time, we also need to take stock of the situation and say, actually, we want to fund the police, but... funding the police as well as reforming the police to make it more based on the sense of community consent and the community's working with the police rather than the police and the community against each other.
1: Uh, now, um, also uh, today, uh, Mike Hill, the Labour MP for Hartlepool, uh, has resigned and is stepping down as an MP, which will of course mean that there will be a by-election in uh, Hartlepool What kind of arguments do you think that the Liberal Democrats should be making in Hartlepool? And to what extent do you think uh, that Brexit and whether one party or one individual supported or were opposed to Brexit will be an issue in this by-election? I
0: mean... Brexit has happened. We regret it, but it's now happened. I think what we need to look at now is the whole situation of, of the COVID situation and how we recover the economy as we get out of the COVID situation. And there's a serious worry many people have that we could end up with, you know, mass unemployment, which is going to hit communities like Pool that struggle. And so I think if you look at the issues that we've been taking up, Ed Davey and others have been taking up nationally, Carrying on with the furlough, this is the kind of scheme that needs to carry on for as long as it needs to, to give people security. The work with the excluded, there's three million of these people nationally who've fallen out of through the net of all the government support schemes. There'll be thousands of those in Hartlepool, struggling small business people, you know, who haven't had any support. And we've been very much championing them. Also, the whole issue of Just the recovery of the economy post-COVID, the green recovery plan that we've got, which is £150 billion of investment to to bring about both an economic recovery post-COVID and uh, protecting the climate. Uh, And also Ed's ongoing campaign on carers, um, you know, which there are 9 million people nationally who are carers. Huge group of people, often forgotten about, often not talked about, not a particularly fashionable group but masses of people doing incredible work you've had a really tough time particularly during covid when literally a lot of carers won't have had a break for a year i think those kind of messages on you know economic recovery post-covid and looking after the the, you know carers and other people will resonate because i think post-covid i think there will be a move hopefully towards you know a society where we look more about the need to value caring and and also ensure that everybody can you know has the security to know that they'll have an income
2: Uh, to live on post-Covid. Yeah, yeah. I'd also further add, I think in places such as Hartlepool, um, the issue of business rates is going to be a big issue because we are seeing shops closing down in our town centres. Yes, there is a move towards online shopping, but what we need to see is reform of the business rates to a land tax, which, to be fair, picked up some traction during the twenty-nine general election campaign for the Lib Dems. Fortunately, it was um, overshadowed by our Brexit studs, But I think that's going to be a big issue, I think, because businesses just can't afford to pay their business rates, and that's not good for productivity and employment opportunities within the towns. And also, you know, going back to people's bus services and whether they're going to have a job. Um, post-COVID, because at the minute what you're seeing is a lot of people losing their jobs or going to lose their jobs, as Michael said, fellow, and they're going to be on um zero hours contracts or part-time which isn't which isn't um good enough for them to live on. And also you'll see um local government being hit. So I think you could potentially, you know, see in this by-election people focusing on more on local services rather than national issues. So in a way, it's going to be quite a microclimate um, situation, I think, within Hartlepool. Hope, hope, hopefully, we can sort of make a breakthrough and and do quite well.
1: Um, now, on the issue of coronavirus, as has been mentioned repeatedly uh, throughout the podcast. How well do you think, or not well, uh, do you think the government have handled the coronavirus pandemic? Do you think that they've worked? well enough with uh, local communities and local councils or do you think that there has been as we've seen um, with some uh, devolved regional administrations too much of a, a standoff between uh, the government and local authorities with the government attempting to uh, ride roughshod to a certain extent over the concerns of local communities
0: yeah i think the the, the government hadn't you know haven't really cooperated and worked with local authorities well enough. I mean, I think of an incident way back last year, you may recall that Leicester City uh, went into lockdown virtually before everyone else for Mm -hmm. a long period. Um, The map for that, because actually as well as Leicester City itself, there were also um, parts of Leicestershire County that were uh, covered by the lockdown initially. Um, But the maps for that literally weren't available till the day it went ahead. And, and, you know, this information just wasn't supplied by the government in any good time. So people were still uncertain about which particular village on the outskirts or town of the outskirts of Leicester was was going to be covered by it. And I think throughout the, uh, the pandemic, there's been a chopping and changing of decisions and and rules and regulations which have made things uncertain and if you look at the you know the death toll it's it's incredibly high in this country compared to a lot of other countries and I think there are questions the government has to answer and I know that we've argued as Liberal Democrats there does need to be a full public inquiry after these events so that we can learn the lessons of them. And I think that's what needs to be had when, you know, we do need to have a proper full public inquiry that can look into all the decisions that were made um, and just fairly evaluate what happened so that if a similar situation, let's hope it doesn't, but a similar situation emerges again, then at least, you know, we will have learnt, uh, the government will have learnt lessons from it and and can perhaps, um, you know, be more effective in future, but certainly, you know, in many ways, the government handling of COVID is not
2: It's a it's a complex situation. I mean, before the uh, inject vaccine, sorry, they hadn't handled that at all well. thirty seven billion pounds has been wasted on a track and test system, which seems to be completely useless which they should have really given that the track and trace system to the local authorities to deal with, who would probably been more, much more effective in, in dealing with that. Mm-hmm. And also, as Michael's alluded to, the issue with Leicester, but also with Liverpool, an issue whether gyms could be open or not open. And then also, it, it wasn't very synchronised at times with the five um, administrations. I'm thinking when Wales went into lockdown before Christmas, before England, and whether people could um be banned from traveling to wales or into England. that wasn't that that wasn't done at all very well and you know also there the, were you know issues with the nhs the ppe which was a scandal and issues with um contracts which i wouldn't go into too much further but come the vaccine, people are rewarding the government now whether rightly or wrongly um they think the government's responsible yes they've rolled it out quite well but it's actually the volunteers in the NHS who have been doing that and you know the NHS have been treated appalling things. nurses for one percent pay rise for what they've done throughout the whole lockdown the whole coronavirus crisis that you know they just have all our gratitudes them the doctors the police and the fire service for for keeping us going and plus um, local central services as as, as BIMMIN. So I think the government has done okay but certainly definitely room to improve as Michael said in terms we need to have a full independent inquiry into why things went wrong.
1: Um, Now looking forward uh, to the next general election which will take place sometime around uh, 2024 what kind of issues and policies do you think that the lib dems have to have in uh, their manifesto and in their arguments going into that election to attract a uh, more working class voters i think
0: we do need to have um you know firm policies on the everyday big ticket issues that affect people's everyday lives. So the health service and social care, this is a huge issue to do with how we fund health and social care going forward. Uh, Education, uh, transport, Um, in terms of um, the environment, to say we've got this 150 billion green coronavirus recovery plan, which is about both ensuring that there are green jobs going forward to to, to help the economy recover post-COVID, to give people employment and to protect the climate because, you know, it's going to be tough economic days going ahead after the COVID crisis, after we've moved beyond the sort of health issues, there's going to be serious economic issues. And I think therefore the Liberal Democrats need a strong set of policies on ensuring people can get work and stay in work, good quality jobs and also health and education and I think we just need to laser like focus on on those issues and also the carers issue which again is another one that I know Ed Ed Dave has been strongly campaigning on again it's nine million people often forgotten gone through a really tough time during the COVID situation so it's really concentrating on the day-to-day issues which affect um everyday people you know it's talking about the issues that you know people on the street that you'll talk to the health service the education the things that really matter to them rather than you know obsessing over what the latest day-to-day row is on twitter it's what the big issues are that affect people's long-term lives uh, and and quality of living that we need to concentrate on
2: back to bread and butter issues so i would say definitely in the nhs but i'd also say Mental health. I mean, we had a really good campaign when Norman Lamb was health minister who said mental health should be treated as, uh, say, equally as physical health. We need to go back to that. And also looking at um, increasing income tax by 1p from the NHS. I think we need to consider going back to that. And also encouraging the Green Investment Fund, as Michael's alluded to. Um, we need to focus more on wind energy, solar power, and promote the benefits to people if they use that. You know that they they actually could economically benefit from it. And I'd also education is going to be a bit a, bit, a big issue at the next uh, election because we're already seeing our children fall behind because of coronavirus. And I think Gavin Williamson's plans. Uh, well, doomed to fail if he goes ahead with this five terms uh, system. I don't think it's going to work. He's going to need to get the consent of the teachers, the teachers' unions, and the parents. And I can't see that happening. So we need to be uh, quite initiative with our education policy come next election.
1: Mm. um It's been great uh, having you on, uh, Adam and Michael. And we're coming towards the end of the podcast. And I've got a final question. For both of you we've mentioned coronavirus throughout the podcast and it has obviously impacted all of our lives so uh, to both of you i ask uh, what one thing that you haven't been able to do because of coronavirus and because of the lockdowns and all things related to it are you most looking forward to being able to do uh, when things get back to some uh, state of normality which will hopefully be soon
0: there's there's many things i guess you know being able to meet up again with relatives who who live away from me would would be good and you know catching up with friends down you know the pub those kind of things just the everyday things that we took for granted before covid that have been sort of um that have been curtailed since i think those are really the things that i would sort of most look forward to
2: yeah, meeting the, meeting back with my relatives, but also getting back into the workplace. I've been working from home for a year just to touch base, just for you know, your own mental well being. Mm-hmm. So getting to see your colleagues again. So that's what, I, in a way, I'm looking forward to as well as obviously seeing my family again.
1: I uh, completely agree with both of your responses, and I'm sure uh, all of our listeners will do as well. If people want to find out more about uh, the Blue Collar Lib Dem group and more about both of you, uh, where should they go to to find out more? Best thing is
0: if you follow me on Twitter at Mike T Mullaney, Usually, all the sort of campaigning things that I'm, I'm involved in are on there. So, if you follow me on there, you, you can you can see stuff from my from me.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam, and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Podcast, Like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, And if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast, or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at the at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.